hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children! Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with us. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to episode 341 of The Stupid Cancer Show. The voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor broadcasting now, right here, right now, from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Block Talk Radio. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time. On this episode, we talk with Young Adult Cancer Connections, Dakota Fisher-Vance, the co-founder, and Rachel Wetzel, one of the members, about the growing Philadelphia community for young adults with cancer and their first ever cancervention event. Survivor Spotlight on ovarian cancer survivor, activist, writer, and founder of Bald and Beautiful, the one and only Sharon Blinn. Hello, team. Hello. Hello. Dr. Shapiro, Ms. Rivera, and uh, Reverend Kane. Good evening. How are you? I am well. How are you? Didn't you announce your presidency today? Uh, Yes. You're running for 2016? Yeah, I, I'm a Texas Republican. <laughs> the ginger poll. Yes. The, the ginger, uh, whatever, what, yeah. party. Um, yeah, didn't Ted Cruz announce today? He did, he did. He's somewhat controversial from he what I'm He's a little to, controversial. From what I understand. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Anyway, not, not no, no politics here, but I just figured that I wanted to confirm it was not you who announced their You'll be the first to know if I have a new uh, occupation. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. How you doing, Mal? I'm just dandy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. Good, good stuff. It's it's International Puppy Day, so oh, it is. It is. So there's no reason to be anything but happy and filled with love for puppies. Today. How old's your dog? My dog is technically a young adult. <laughs> <laughs> She's about five, maybe six. We don't. So know not a puppy though. Not a puppy, but okay. a puppy at heart. And Sean and I, we are both um, going through a little bit of time zone withdrawal after our red-eye flight from L.A. last night. It hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. 
But we had a good time. We were in Los Angeles for three days. Lots of activities, lots of events. Another special shout-out to the uh, to FIDM and their fashion club for hosting a special event and benefiting Stupid Cancer. $12,000 donated to Stupid Cancer. Shout-out. Yeah. Shout outs. Yeah. Talia Tonti. Yep. Incredible uh, person that put it together. Uh, we had 800 young, impressionable high school students that I know. Were, were looking to attend FIDM and came out and they found out about stupid cancer it was great and uh robbie amell italia's fiance showed up and he stole the show as he typically does as a tween heartthrob yeah he's in the duff in a upcoming movie uh called vax yep what does duff mean again designated ugly fat friend uh it's been conflated as the new mean girls movie by okay. vanity fair so i would imagine tina fey is reeling oh yeah yeah well we'll figure it out I don't plan on seeing it, but I will look at the Rotten Tomatoes reviews. So There needs to be a new one every few years anyway. Yeah. Things change. Because there were no cell phones during Mean Girls. You know, There was no cyberbullying in Mean Girls. It was just yeah. you know, the there, burn book and all that. There were for sure no iPhones. If no. there were iPhones in Mean Girls, it would be a different story. Completely different story. Yeah. So we had a great time at the fundraiser at Fitham. And we got to see this like Mugatu Zoolander style fashion show that the, all these thousand high school girls were there for. Extraordinary! That guy from um, he studied under Tim Gunn from what was it uh, was Project Runway. Project Runway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite Project Runway person ever. Who was it? Uh, Nick Veritas. That's the guy. Yeah. Very charismatic. Very charismatic. <laughs> Lots of personality there. He likened himself to a seventeen-year-old girl. He did. So. He did. Um, and then we, what else did we do? We had lunch with Sean some, Smith. We had lunch with Sean Smith, who is the um, the showrunner and EP of Chasing Life. Got some insider information not to be shared on the air here with our fabulous listeners about what to expect. Um, and as we're uh, creating this broadcast now, the uh, season one, part two finale is airing. Uh, so we encourage anyone to, if you missed the episodes, ABC Family has an app. And apparently you no longer need a cable subscriber to watch all the episodes for free, which is nice. So Chasing Life, ABC Family. And uh, we got a chance to actually see Italia. And, uh, well, we saw Robbie at the FITM event, but we saw Italia and Robbie and just hung out with them. It was great. Yeah. Do they, they are, spend a lot of time together? Or are they really, really busy? They're both very busy, but they're, they're, she was telling me that their schedules, their shooting schedules are often in sync. So they can see each other, but when they're out of sync, like TV versus a movie... Versus TV versus TV, you know it, it's hard. But we we had uh, so name dropping, and we we went to John Bennett's house, uh, Jonathan Bennett of cheaper of Mean Girls. Speaking of Mean that, Girls, of Mean, mean Girls, girls. Uh, we went to his house for a dinner with Italia and Robbie and some of their friends, and it was just it's just one of those like cool. How often can you say that? Very rarely, if ever, unless I suppose if you're Italia or Robbie yeah. who's friends with him, um, and. Uh, we we had a really good time. It was a wonderful event, and I think the best part of my trip it wasn't twenty two degrees. Yeah, which it is n- here in New York. Yeah, it was great. We got to meet with a lot of our community out there as well. A lot of our our close friends and, in the LA. Yeah, area. shout out to Mars and Lisa and Jason and Erica. Yeah, Nico. Nico, our mainstays out there. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. And Brian Brian Thompson couldn't make it, or Coco couldn't make it, but shout outs to them too. Awesome people. And uh, so anyway, so we mentioned that uh, Chasing Life, the season one, part two finale is airing and you can uh, shoot. They're shooting season two right now, which starts, I think it's going to air in August, which is very exciting. 
and it'll tie again into OMG East, perhaps. We'll see what happens there uh, in uh, this fall. But um, Italia was on the, the Doctors. Apparently, that's the show, like the chat and the chew and whatever, the Doctors, whatever. Um, but she was there, and she name-dropped me. And I'm going to take a moment just to enjoy that, because no one's ever name-dropped me before in a good light, I suppose, Kenny. <laughs> and um, she did a good job. That she was, They were asking her about her role and the kind of responsibility it is to represent like a whole generation of cancer, what it means. She, I mean, she's she's a pro. She's trained. She gets it. But she's she's on it. She's great. Did a great job. Um, and uh, this week, the Emperor of All Maladies uh, is running a one-hour uh, sneak peek that we'll be going to, which is exciting. We'll report back on the next episode as to what we can expect. The Ken Burns Stand Up to Cancer uh, documentary on PBS with uh, Weta. Huge three-year effort to put this together about the history of cancer um, airing on PBS, I think, in April. Everyone should look out for that. Our very own Jen Stewart of the CancerCon Steering Committee was profiled on Refinery29. Why is it called 29? It just is. It just is. Refinery29? It just is. It always has been. Yeah. On um, wills and and, uh, proxies and... uh, bequeathments and how do you do planning even if you're not going to die but you're at risk and you want to understand what's going to happen to your legacy what does that look like especially when you're younger you're not bequeathing your your uh you know your boat in the florida keys to somebody you're worried about who gets your dog and your baby so very powerful story we put that on our feed which is um or our tumblr page or our wall you check it out there and sean with the cancer con update we're just shy of $81,000 raised. Oh, wow. Yeah. $81,000. Yeah. So thank you to all our VIP club fundraisers out there. Keep on trucking. It makes a transformative impact on our cause. And uh, can't wait to see where it goes. And we have, what, like 22 days left till CancerCon? Yeah, we're just uh, five weeks. It's incredible. Even less time until I hit the road. Yeah, the road trip. That's happening. Oh, that thing. That little thing you do every year. Yeah. Where you you leave the universe as we know it <laughs> into this twilight zone for two weeks. I think it is two weeks from, three weeks from Wednesday. You excited? I am excited, yeah. Weren't yeah. there like 200 people that registered for some of the meetups? Uh, I was counting all the event rights. It was crazy. We're getting we're getting pretty close to that. It's amazing. It's you're, gonna be, you're popular. It's going to be good. Well, Name dropping Kenny Kane. When we did it uh, in 2012... Uh, we had 15,000 Facebook likes when it was still pretty successful in my book. Right. And now we have 280,000 Facebook likes. Right. So it's a big deal. Multiply by X. Exactly. Dr. X. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's start the show. Sharon Blinn is an ovarian cancer survivor activist, writer, and founder of Bald is Beautiful, dedicated to encouraging mind, body, spirit living and empowering women to define beauty and wholeness on their own terms in sickness and in health. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the lovely and talented Sharon Blinn. Sharon. Thanks for uh, coming on the uh, the broadcast with us here. Absolutely, my pleasure. I was uh, really intrigued um, when I first found out about uh, your your blog and your, your story. Um, young adult cancer, obviously that is what we do, that's what we're all about, the uniqueness, why it's different, why it matters. And you really encapsulate that so much. And I, I first want to go through your story, but I really want to talk about some of the interesting 
interesting issues you are raising about the nebulousness of early detection and research in all young adult cancers, specifically then ovarian too. Just we've had some fascinating insights into what is and is not even remotely possible for our generation to expect in the coming years. But let, let's just get started. Um, how, uh, how were you diagnosed? What was life six months before all this happened? Uh, I was actually diagnosed uh, by luck, <laughs> quote unquote. Um, I thought I was having some stomach problems. So in exploring uh, what I thought were stomach problems, ultimately one test led to another, led to a different specialist and another specialist which ultimately landed me with an oncologist, and then I pretty much uh, had a pretty strong idea of what was going on at that point. But I was misdiagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome first, which apparently is a very common misdiagnosis for ovarian cancer. And then a week later, had some more issues come up and ultimately sat with an oncologist who, uh, without any tests, of course, have to go into surgery to remove things and then examine them under a microscope in order to tell me what it was, is, et cetera. So... That all happened in a period of about uh, two weeks. Well, actually, I went from having a stomach ache to <laughs> having a surgery for potential malignancy. I mean, all things considered, two weeks is actually pretty decent compared to some of the stories we hear um, around misdiagnosis. I, I went eight months with what they thought was like multiple sclerosis for brain cancer, you know, 20 years ago. Wow. And ovarian is one of those nebulous things that, you know, oh, just take some Pepto, you'll be fine, come back in two weeks. Well, actually, yeah, I mean, I guess that was two weeks from having extreme symptoms that were sending me to the doctor because, you know, of course, in retrospect, I look at, you know, a lot of things going on, but I had a perfectly normal gynecological exam three months before that. So it was perfectly normal, and, of course, I, it was easy for me to write off as, oh, it's just like gas pain or I'm eating too much lemon, so I need to cut down on my citric acid intake or something. Right. You know, no one wants to go from I'm having a pain in my stomach to, oh, it might be cancer. Right, and how so old were you at the we time? we don't have a screening test, it's not, we don't, there's no other route to take other than, you know, misdiagnosing for a, a while first, you know, and it's late stage usually because of that. And how old were you at the time? I was 28 years old. Right. So, so yeah, this is an exemplary story of why young adult cancer in young adults is so very different. And so eventually you were taken seriously and eventually saw an oncologist who took you seriously. But then this waiting game to hear back what it was and what was that conversation like? Um, well, actually, it wasn't so much being taken seriously so much as, again, well, these, these stomach stuff is happening. So that, And it was the first conversation was, well, the only way for me to tell you what's going on is to go in there and take it out and look at it. So that in and of itself was kind of freaky since I'd never had major surgery before that. And all these feelings of, you know, uh, I'm too young. This ovarian cancer is not something that happens to people at my age. And then um, basically a week, I had an exploratory surgery. A week later, they closed me up, and a week later had the actual surgery surgery where they removed my right ovary and the tumor that was there and part of my left and a bunch of other implants that were there. And that's when, you know, so basically another week later, coming uh, back to earth from surgery right. anesthesia is when I found out well, this is indeed what was going on, and then they had to decide the next course of action, which, you know, then there was the whole debate of chemotherapy or not, um, you know, all this other stuff, and, you know, how do you feel about your fertility, because you're 28, you're not married at the time, didn't have kids, so, 
do you want to have kids? So then all these questions about fertility and womanhood and what's life like without ovaries for a woman because I didn't want to lose both ovaries. So that was also part of my concern when we had surgery to begin with was, you know, don't take both my ovaries out. Let's, let, you know. So I went, you know, through all of these stages of, of you know, life and death and also my womanhood and what makes me a woman if I can't biologically conceive and is that the most important thing? And, you know, just a right. swirl of incredible questions. Yeah, that, things that don't factor in when you're 75 with cancer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the, where were you treated, by the way? I actually was down in Miami, Florida. I was visiting my parents for what was supposed to be one week, and that turned into this three-year medical mystery tour. It's like the Gilligan's Island of cancer diagnoses. Say what? The Gilligan's Island of cancer diagnoses. <laughs> yes. So I ended up being treated uh, at the hospital I was born in. Right. Wow. <laughs> Coincidentally. So yeah. the fact that you were made aware of reproductive rights on the scene, so to speak, is in fact progress, because even still to date, Anyone with any cancer, let alone a gynecologic cancer, is is not typically given those options. So, were you? What ultimately was decided for you, or what what kind of decisions or options were you presented with? Uh, well, for me, my doctor, I I ended up seeing I, before I got to the oncology, I had seen um, a fertility specialist in case it was something like endometriosis or or something you know non malignant that. Um, that specialist could then go in laparoscopically and deal with, with whatever needed to be handled and keep, uh, I call them the NYPD of the reproductive system. They, they preserve and protect the reproductive system so they can go in there and do what they have to do but keep my, my reproductive system intact. So my exploratory surgery was with him and the oncologist in the room, and if it was going to be something the oncologist had to handle. Uh, and then they, they talked about, well, I talked about uh, with the fertility specialist about um, keeping some ovarian tissue once they removed it to keep the tissue frozen in case if I wanted to conceive later through IVF or other methods that I would at least have my own genetic material available if, if that's what I wanted to do at some point. Right. We work very closely with uh, the Oncofertility Consortium in, in Northwestern and in Chicago and the uh, Colorado Cancer Reproductive, what are they called, CCRM, Medical Associates or something? Mm -hmm. um, they both worked in tandem with each other. The... Um, the timeline between um, harvesting ovarian tissue, not going through any hormone injections anymore. They, they don't have to go, because women are often like, oh, three months of hormone to get follicles and then you get start chemo. We're past that right now. Where, oh, well, we don't do that anyway because stimulating the ovarian tissue could stimulate cancer cells, so that wasn't even an option for me at that point. Right, but there are like, some women who are like, I don't care. I want to preserve them. I'm willing to do this. It's a risk, but I'll take you know three months and then start chemo. But now that there are these options, to your point, where it's like 8 to 12 days to get through this with no hormones, and then you start your chemo, the delay doesn't increase risk that much. Okay. I'm not aware of that kind of timeline. Yeah, yeah, it's down to 12 days, 8 to 12 days now, depending on the, the level of uh, the biology or what level of the cancer is or what they can do, which is very exciting, very exciting. The question is, who's going to pay for it? Was that your experience? I'm sorry? Who's going to pay for it? Oh, well, yeah, some of these things you don't know if insurance is going to cover things. And, of course, there's the whole idea of having to discuss, you know, what a medical person is recommending versus someone at a, you know, a health insurance company, what they deem viable or necessary. So then you get into all kinds of other discussions right. around your own personal dominion over your body. 
uh, that can be very upsetting and a full-time job in and of itself. <laughs> so what was your ultimate outcome? Were you able to preserve follicles or did you keep the other ovary? Um, I still have frozen tissue ultimately in my body. No, I had a, I had surgery and then I had chemo. It came back a couple of different times over the, last, over the next two years after that. So ultimately, and I was holding on to, I was having them keep part of my left ovary intact. So ultimately it came back two times again, so I had to just let her go, and um, I still have frozen ovarian tissue. I don't know what or if I'll do anything with it, right. but um, uh, that's what I ended up doing, and, and the chemo, it came back during chemo, so that wasn't working, so right. ultimately it was a surgical intervention, finally. Yeah, we're finding now, is like, now that I mentioned that it's not terribly typical to be given your reproductive rights, men or women, um, but now it is slowly starting to become an issue. The cost is a factor... And then now issues of adoption and surrogacy or in vitro right. fertilization are now this hot buzz topic in our generation for what we're calling like the civil liberty to parenthood. Cancer well, shouldn't, yeah. I mean, you know. I, at the time, I, this is probably now 12-something uh, years ago, they literally it was just about, well, you're young and you're not married. So, you know, I, and maybe my, my oncologist was is particularly evolved, which I think he is because right. he's an incredible surgeon. Um, so he was very open to having those conversations with me, and I, I gather there are a lot of surgeons and oncologists who aren't. So maybe I just got incredibly lucky, too. Well, that is true. So, And you're well now, 12 years later, after a few bumps? I, I am 12 years cancer-free so far. So, And then, you know, pressing forward with my all this beautiful revolution. Right, and I, I did want to take the, um, the, the next half of the segment here to talk about what you've done with your life. Since then, I'm reading here in your bio that, you know, you're, I, I want to talk about what, what is an activist. I can kind of imagine you put two words together and it makes sense. <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, um, because my, I never acted before, so my acting is, uh, was, is actually fueled by my activism um, in my Bald is Beautiful movement, which I was inspired to, to start because of my experience with chemo and hair loss and having gone from a long-haired hippie chick to having no hair. And having such a close identity attached to my hair and then suddenly, okay, well, who am I without this hair and why am I? And then on top of that, why am I so anxious about this when I'm fighting for my life and, and meeting other women who also seemed more uh, upset and troubled by the hair loss than I met women who had already had mastectomies who were still much more concerned about the hair loss. And I think it's because it just feels so um, like you just have no control. Your hair is just falling out and it's gone. And then you're just, you know, this kind of blank slate. And, you know, it, it, it's very jarring, I guess, because it's so obvious and visual, right? And it's immediate. And so I just, I thought, wow, you know, there must be something I can do that I, I was compelled to do, actually, to change how we perceive our wholeness and our beauty as women and not attaching our identity and our womanhood to these these uh, different various parts, and even biologically, I'm I can't I can't you know old-fashioned wise reproduce, but am I still a woman without my ovaries? You know all these questions about what defines us as women and empowering women to define those on our, on their own terms. You know? Well, again, so so what is it that you do uh, in terms of? I mean, you won all these incredible awards. You've been recognized. Kind of up the wazoo, the Lily Tartikoff EIF Hope Award. That's a big deal. Kenneth Cole's We Can All Walk in Different Shoes campaign. Um, who are your audiences, and, and what what kind of response do you get from them? Um, actually, it's it's interesting. I have I have uh, men and women who find my website and write to me, caregivers as well as patients themselves who have, are newly diagnosed, and 
and want some advice about you know, you know how to handle the various aspects or you know what kinds of questions to bring to their doctors so um, the range of people who find my website and reach out to me is is quite vast and all ages and in backgrounds and um, really it's just about providing a different perspective and and I think something that you are specifically focused on in particular is this is younger uh, cancer patients that are you know in 20s and 30s I found in my experience which is also part of why I started uh, my website is to be something for our those generations that are kind of in this kind of black hole of we there's nothing really out there for us we're always you know too too young we're supposed supposedly too young to be going through this and and we're not we're sort of in that middle zone between pediatric and geriatric, and, and there's not as much support out there that is specifically geared to how a young 20 or 30-something person um, wants is sort of even mentally or emotionally equipped to deal with this kind of diagnosis. So right. I wanted to also be a voice out there or someone to turn to that someone can relate to. I just didn't see anyone out there that was me that I felt like, oh, I can relate to that person. Let me talk to them, or, or their story resonates with me. So I, you know, I just felt it was really important to put a voice out there for someone in these in those age groups, so that we can feel that support and that kind of kinship and community that we we feel anyway with the cancer community. But right. there is that kind of feeling of I go to a, a youth support group and the youngest person is forty, and I'm kind of like, oh, whoa, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where where am I? You know, what planet am I on? You should come to our meetups. We have over 225 a year, and uh, we get anywhere from five to 40 people that come out from anywhere between the ages of 18 and, and 40. Uh, oh, you'll, be you'll fit right in. Um, I want to just spend the next minute or two as we close out the segment here to really discuss this debate over, I mean, young adult cancer, we exist to to make it suck a little less for anyone affected by young adult cancer. We're not here to cure it. We're not here to prevent it. We're not here to do anything, but you're dealing with it already, and we're going to help you li- get busy living as best you can through it. But the mission behind what we do is driven by public policy and that survival rates and quality of life for young adults have been stagnated for 40 years when you see kids and old people like doing great comparatively you know one of the reasons for that is late detection you fortunately had a two-week window i had eight months most people have more than that you know but there is no real young adult cancer research and most of the cancers that we get are not detectable, have no intervention or no preventative measures like leukemia, lymphoma, right. Hodgkin's, I mean, sarcomas. I see, yeah, you that's know. why I see like ovarian cancer is sort of like the female version of pancreatic cancer. We right. don't have the advantage of early detection, so most of the time, and the statistics are, you know, stunning. You know, early, if it's detected early, there's a 90% survival rate, in it, but 90% of, 70% of the time it's detected late, and right. there's a 30%, 30% chance of survival. So right. it's, it makes it it's glaringly clear how important early detection is, and but if you have a rare enough cancer, there, you know, then it becomes an issue about, you know, funding and research money, and and is it worth their while if 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 only 22,000 women a year are diagnosed with ovarian cancer versus the millions that are maybe diagnosed with breast cancer, where who's going to get the money? And it's not going to be the 22,000 women with ovarian cancer, 15,000 of whom are going to not make it. So it 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 is kind of infuriating and upsetting sometimes when I think about, you know, well. You know, there's so many diseases that they're refining treatment for, but we need money just to, can we get a test here? Can we get a screener, a marker? Can we get something here? You know, I go <laughs> back know, to... Children with brain tumors, same thing. It's just it's well, like... Uh, well, yeah, like we were joking that, like, there should be, like, a stick your head in the wall at Walmart so you can just get, like, a 30-second MRI for no reason and see what happens there. <laughs> Not going to happen. I, I also go back I to... 
there was a Saturday Night Live skit in the 80s called The Lung Brush, which is like they took like a toilet brush that you like stuck down your throat and scraped your lungs clean of tar for lung cancer. Like what what could possibly be done for ovarian <laughs> cancer detection? It's this invisible thing in your body and even, you know, pap, pap smears don't detect it, speculums don't detect it, you know. Well, anyway. they have. I mean, there's different things. I mean, my my inclination is to think that it's going to be blood-related, blood test-related, because, right. you know, a lot of advances come in that regard because, you know, different tumors release different proteins in the bloodstream. So if you develop something that detects that protein, and they, there is a test called the CA125, but it is not a tumor marker, and people right. made that mistake a lot of times talking about that for many years as if it was, but that test can be elevated for all kinds of other reasons that have nothing to do with cancer. So... It's not. We just don't have anything like that right now. Having surgical intervention is the only way to, you know, diagnose it. Is kind of outrageous because you can have a misdiagnosis anyway. And so we're going to have, you know, 20 surgeries to, you know, to rule out something. It's kind of, you know, insane. And then if you don't have health insurance, you just have to basically choose between life and death. You know, and bankruptcy and death. You know, sort of a, a crazy choice to have to make. Well, you're raising all the right issues, and I, I can't thank you enough for being the voice of young adult cancer. Your story is inspiring. And uh, what is your, is it just baldisbeautiful.org or .com? Org. .org. Yep, baldisbeautiful.org. All right, Sharon Blinn, ovarian cancer, 12-year ovarian cancer, 12-year cancer-free ovarian survivor, activist, writer, and founder of Bald is Beautiful, baldisbeautiful.org, dedicated to encouraging mind, body, spirit, living, and empowering women to define beauty and wholeness in their own terms. Thank you, Sharon for sharing your story on the Super Cancer Show. All right, Kenny, let's uh, hit the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar. For all of our social and educational events happening nationwide, something could be happening in your neck of the woods. And we certainly don't want you missing out. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, chances are we are coming to your neck of the woods on the Stupid Cancer Road Trip. Uh, we have a couple before then, though. San Diego, California. Houston, Texas. And then uh, I will be driving to Boston, New York, Washington, Durham, Atlanta, Birmingham, New Orleans, Austin, Dallas, Tempe, San Diego, and the OC. And then finally to Denver. To Denver. Yes. Uh, and if you'd like to host your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Cancer's lonely. we got a cure for that. We're talking about Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant, anonymous, one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by young adult cancer. Going in the app store sometime in the next five to ten days, instapeer.org. We launch a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer's expensive. We're proud to announce a uh, cancermamebroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit cancermamebroke.com. To learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and check out all the new stuff we have in store for spring. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear a stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right, in the main segment of this episode, Dakota Fisher-Vance is the co-founder of Young Adult Cancer Connection. After being diagnosed with familial 
add an, I'd practice this. Familial, let's just say FAP, polyposis, in 2011 at the age of 22 and a desmoid tumor two years later. Statistically speaking, she's a walking miracle, four in a million. Joining her, Rachel Wetzel, also a member of the Young Adult Cancer Connection and a colon cancer survivor herself. She was diagnosed at the age of 39 following complications from a ruptured appendix. Currently, she's celebrating with us tonight. Uh, six months in remission. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Dakota Fisher Vance and Rachel Wetzel. Ladies. And uh, I, I actually did, Mallory can attest, I did really try to practice this word. I, I've been doing this for God knows how long and I've never heard of this. So congratulations, first and foremost, of whatever. Can you pronounce this for me? Sure. It's familial adenomatous polyposis. FAP for short. It took me a while to get it too. Good zuntite. That's crazy. <laughs> so so let's just let's start with that. What better way to start the show than what is that? And and at twenty one, what was your life like, and how did this get discovered? Yeah. So FAP is a hereditary colon cancer syndrome, which causes a one hundred percent chance of colon cancer developing and predisposes you to a bunch of other types of cancers. And uh, it just it was a total shock to get diagnosed. At the age of 22, I just graduated college, and I had a job lined up, and I definitely wasn't expecting to have surgeries during my summer break in between. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed at 21 in college, so I totally get that. Like, your life just gets, like, totally shot to shit. What then? What, so, all right, so you're 22, you get this. And like, by the way, you might get colon cancer now, or you will get colon cancer now. What happens to a 22-year-old? I mean, I just... I think I was really in denial initially. I just was like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm young, I'm healthy, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And it wasn't really until I got my genetic testing, which confirmed that, yes, I have this mutation, which is causing this disease, uh, that it really started to sink in. And, I mean, I just, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't ready to accept it. I re was refusing to have surgery, and, you know, I wanted to go start my job and live my life. And, it was the day that I was supposed to start my, my job um, that I decided, no, I need to stay here and have surgery. And it, it was a really hectic moment. Wow. So are you allowed to get, like, colonoscopies every hour just to find it before it happens? Uh, so, I mean, I was diagnosed totally fortuitously. I came in with anemia, and um, fortunately I had a mother who's one of my biggest advocates and said, you know, she needs to have a colonoscopy. And um, that's actually the only colonoscopy I've ever had uh, because it was diagnosed right then and there. So I actually don't get colonoscopies. I get something called a sigmoidoscopy since I don't have my colon anymore. So you had a, a full what a colonectomy? Is that what they call it? Or, uh, it's another fancy word, uh, proctocolectomy. Dude, you are full of Encyclopedia Britannica tonight. It's incredible. <laughs> Do you have an ostomy? I my friends. You have ostomy? Uh, yeah, I had. I don't have an ostomy now. I had an ostomy uh, for three months uh, in between surgeries, which was really rough. Yeah, I mean, we know a lot of young adults. I'm going to get Rachel in a second. That have um, been living with uh, or beaten colorectal cancer um, who have had to face this situation, and it's not something that you would expect to happen in your 20s and 30s. And what is that like? But I, I, let's get to Rachel, also another young adult colorectal cancer survivor, Six months in remission, Rachel. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I actually just had a colonoscopy, and it came back clean on Monday. So well, good. it's That's official awesome. now. There's nothing like that lovely plastic jug of beverage you have to chug the day before. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the worst part. <laughs> yeah. I was, they told me I need, I, I, there was no chemo when I was diagnosed a thousand years ago. So I had like Chernobyl radiation, which just wrecks your body. And the very first colonoscopy I had was at the age of 22. And I, I was like, what is this thing I'm drinking? And I have no idea. They can prepare you only so much if it's your first time ever doing it. And then you have no idea what's happening. And then you think you're dying for the next day. Um, Oh, but I tell you, they plucked out so many things from my colon that were completely precancerous, and it was the best thing possible. But the fact is you shouldn't have to have gone through this to have a colonoscopy as a young person, which brings me to, if you're, I, I hope you're aware of this, the Colon Cancer Alliance, which we work with very closely, has a brand new initiative called the Never Too Young Foundation, and it focuses exclusively on young adult colorectal cancer Risk, early detection, genetics, treatment, and community. And it's an extraordinary effort that embodies your two stories. Yeah, I, we are definitely not alone. I actually, a month after I got diagnosed, my friend here in Philadelphia got diagnosed at, with colorectal cancer at 36. So with neither of us with family history or anything. So it, there's way more young people out there with colon cancer. Right, and, and this, the, one of the articles I read recently that they shared on CCA's Facebook page was that colorectal cancer is, is purported to be the uh, disproportionately increased incidence in young adults over the next 20 years, and they're largely attributing it to environment. So pick your conspiracy theory of choice, but I'm, I'm in favor <laughs> of the idea that we're poisoning our planet and this is causing this to happen in young people and you know, a combination of genetics and bad luck, and there you go. Uh, let, let's focus on your life now because you guys are get, getting busy living. You're doing great things together. How did you meet? Um, so we actually met at a Young Adult Cancer Connection meetup. All right. Well, that's the next question. What is the Young Adult Cancer Connection? <laughs> uh, so Young Adult Cancer Connection is all about providing a forum for Philadelphia's young adults with cancer to come together and work through our unique issues. And uh, so we're, we're doing this through monthly meetups, as well as uh, hosting Philadelphia's first Young Adult Cancer Conference, Cancervention, on April 18th. Yeah, which we're very, very excited about. Um, what I've, and we've been doing this, I've been doing this for about eight years now, and I've been indirectly involved in advocacy since like 2002, you know, when I first started being okay telling my story, you know, six years after it happened or eight years after it happened. Um, there was nothing back then for anything young adult hospitals didn't even factor us into their patient support group. So they lopped us in with the old people or the babies and it, it just wasn't working. And now what you guys have done is extraordinary. It's just another milestone in how we are making our own noise and making a difference. And, and so who, uh, Dakota, where did the idea come from to start this? Obviously we need this, but how did you, get it started how did how did you sell it uh so well kara who is the co-founder and my cancer partner in crime actually met through stupid cancer's mid-atlantic facebook page and uh fortunately she wasn't uh, scared off by a total stranger asking her to meet up and uh, she, you know we just realized that there was nothing in philadelphia going on she had been hosting some small happy hours that were pretty sporadic and we realized that we wanted to make them more regular and sort of expand them beyond the happy hour setting. 
and uh, we just started reaching out to local hospitals and sort of seeing if they were interested, and we were overwhelmed by the response that we got. I mean, so many people were writing back and saying, this is so necessary, and we're really willing to, to advertise what we're putting out. And I, that just really speaks to what our age group is all about. It's like we don't even know that it's possible to have something just for us. And when we do, the floodgates open and we're all there. It's extraordinary. Exactly. And I think, I mean, Young Adult Cancer Connection, through these meetups, it's just, I mean, it's been absolutely incredible. We've had so many people come who sort of seemed to come reluctantly, and they showed up and they expressed just that, that they didn't realize that this existed and that they needed this until they were in the thick of it. Right. Okay, so so tell us more about this conference. I mean, we, we've done actually CancerCon, as you you know, CancerCon's coming up in December. Yeah, it's course. our thirteenth international conference, oh and you know where it got started in two thousand eight. We had no idea what we were, it was. Just me, Kenny wasn't even hired yet. Um, and uh, I said, actually, I said CancerCon's in December. It's April. I'm in April, and I'm on jet lag. Happy holidays. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So. You know, no idea what we're doing. Who 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 do we speak to? How do we get people to show up? But you, you've really done it. Tell us more about the the agenda. Yeah, so we're really thrilled with how it's all come together. Um, our thing we're most excited about is that we've got Salika as our keynote speaker, um, who is a Stupid Cancer Show alum. And I mean, Kara and I were huge fans of hers beforehand. And uh, for me personally, you know, she really helped me through a tough time and I think she inspired me to want to get involved in young adult cancer advocacy so I mean for me it's it's really incredible that I not only get to hear her speak but that she's speaking at an event that I helped create and I don't know if I would have been in a position to create it without her Uh, so that's really great and then we've got uh, creative therapies such as dance and art therapy and we've got um, something more on the medical side talking about the late-term side effects and cancer and career around campus. I mean, we're sort of covering the whole gamut of a lot of different psychosocial issues. And when is the conference? It is Saturday, April 18th. And how many people have registered? What's your What's your goal? So we went into it sort of thinking if we get 100 people, that'd be great. Um, and we're working with uh, Penn Medicine's Abramson Cancer Center, which is held a lot of really major conferences. So, sure. You know, they were a little disappointed by us coming in and saying, well, 100 would be really good for this really new thing. Um, and now we're actually well over 100, and it looks like we might actually hit capacity, which we're pretty excited about. Uh, if you build it, they will come for the young adult cancer world. That's really extraordinary. Uh, I, I, I met yeah, Suleika when she was in isolation, when she was like diagnosed, like three months after her first diagnosis, and we become really good friends, and she has completely absorbed this this tremendous responsibility she did not know she was going to undertake by just writing for the times and uh she's gonna rock your world she's gonna be an extraordinary speaker and motivator for the attendees yeah we can't wait we almost didn't reach out to her as we thought it was such a long shot (laughs) we're glad that we convinced ourselves to do so yeah, I mean, it, it's a really big deal. And, I mean, we're here to help, too. I mean, just the fact that we somehow accidentally helped you get started in some small way. Like, we, we want to we help you be successful. We want to drive as much awareness to this as possible and, and, you know, let you, you know, fill the room to the gills. That's great. Yeah, we're really excited to be in the middle of all of these great conferences, you know, between MD Anderson and you guys and the Young Survival Coalition. I mean, so much is going on this spring for the young adult cancer world. Yeah, and again, just this weekend, there were two conferences in New York City back-to-back. One was clinical, 
and one was patient-driven about young adult colorectal cancer. So they're making just as much noise as we are for all cancers, and it's it's really something to be to be proud of that we're making a difference. Um, let me go into a couple of quick things here. Um, in terms of the the way in which that you you talk to the cancer centers about this, I mean Abramson is is really big, and Chop has a a thriving pediatric clinic, and I know they had tried a young adult program before. Have you made any inroads at the local centers about something inpatient? Yeah, so, I mean, what's been great about all of this is we've gotten to be in contact with the movers and the shakers who are in this newly emerging young adult cancer field in Philadelphia. Uh, so we've gotten to meet some really great doctors at CHOP and at Penn as well who, who are interested in, in actually making this a program and expanding it beyond just this one conference. Uh, so, I mean, we don't know yet what form that's going to take, but um, we do know and, you know, hopefully other Philadelphians can take faith in the fact that there are doctors and program managers that are interested in providing more support for Philadelphians. Really incredible. Rachel, I'm just reading your bio here, and I, I, can, I guess we can forgive you from being from Pittsburgh because you moved to Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> but in that vein, um, a master's in art conservation. I, I went to SUNY Binghamton, so any SUNY is a friend of mine. Um, what has, I mean, art, clearly you're living your life, cancer is an art. How has your, your experience with cancer affected your perspective of, of art and, and your work? Well, um, I worked through my entire treatment through while I was doing chemotherapy, and my office was very forgiving for a few days after I did my chemo treatment. Um, well, when I had the energy, I would go in, but unfortunately, with all my neuropathy in my hands, it really made it tough for me to personally to do my job. Um, also, I my office, because we have lots of valuable art, has to be climate controlled. So it's very cold in there all year round. And so that would aggravate my hands and feet quite a bit. And so uh, all of my tools are very tiny, metal, like dental tools and tiny tweezers and surgical scissors and things like that. So I, for me, my cancer impacted me in a huge way um, as far as what I could do at work. Um, but, you know, just being able to go and, you know, look at beautiful things in my office and right. uh, was a very good distraction from everything I was dealing with at the time, even if I was, you know, struggling a little bit with doing my job. And so Dakota, you, you, you started the, uh, I love this fact. I love when we just make up these words and it's the awesomest thing. Yeah. Fabulous TV uh, channel on YouTube. Let's, let's talk about that. When I was diagnosed, the same way there really wasn't anything for young adults with cancer, there really was nothing for people with FAP. And, I mean, I was looking on the Internet one day just, you know, trying to find, I don't know, something random about the disease. And FAP, uh, fapping, is actually synonymous with masturbation. As yes. I found out. And Urban so Dictionary. I was coming, hmm? Urban Dictionary. Yeah, exactly. So, which I didn't know beforehand, the things you learn from having cancer. Right. Um, but, you know, all I was coming up with was these really vulgar things and thought, you know, this is just so unfair on top of having this crappy disease. This is what you're subjected to. Right. And so I decided to reluctantly turn to YouTube and, you know, so that people could have a friendly face when they Google the disease. Yep. Have you met other young adults with this? I have, yeah. That's. I mean, I started with this YouTube channel as sort of my in route 
inroads to advocacy first before getting involved in young adult cancer advocacy. But, I mean, most people with FAP are diagnosed when they're teenagers. And so, yeah, I've met a lot of young adults, um, and they're really interested in, in getting involved in the movement as well. Right, and I'm reading here, you're a world traveler. You've been all over the world, and, you know, just it's very inspiring. What, what, what have been some of your favorite places to visit? I mean, before I was diagnosed, I studied abroad in New Zealand, and once I was diagnosed, I said that if I don't get back to New Zealand before I die, then I haven't lived correctly, so that's still on my to-do list. Um, and then Thailand, I went to um, without my colon, and I was really apprehensive about it because I just didn't know if I'd ever be able to travel again, and uh, I ate all of the street food there and lived to tell the tale. So. Wow. <laughs> that That's rough when you have a colon, let alone when you don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no uh, gastrointestinal infections. So I was glad. Wow, that's really amazing. And so, what are you up to these days now? Besides, uh, when you're not traveling the world, <laughs> right? Uh, so right now, I've taken some time to really just focus on young adult cancer connection and you know getting it on the ground and hopefully expanding it into hospitals and really making Philadelphia as a whole more conducive to young adults with cancer. That's amazing. So you, what, what, I mean, we, we started the meetup model and the happy hour model just because like no one wanted to go to the support groups in the cancer center, which makes sense because who wants to do that anyway, unless you're 85 years old with a walker, no offense to our old people. Everyone loves our grandparents. <laughs> what are some of the events that you are doing around the, uh, the community? Yeah, so our meetups have sort of taken the shape of we alternate them between informal discussions at local cafes as well as more fun activities like we've done yoga, we've done a nutrition class at the Free Library of Philadelphia with Cancer Treatment Centers of America, we've done ice skating, things like that that allow us to socialize beyond cancer and just in a way typical of our peers. Right. You just want to feel like you're as normal as possible. Exactly. And I think what's really cool is that, you know, we feel like we're developing the young adult cancer community, but at the same time, we're also getting to know the Philadelphia community better by exploring the city. No, it, it's really, really incredible stuff. Um, we've got about a minute left. I, what, what's your message to, I mean, like you said, some of them are really shy, some young adults with cancer, they, they don't want it, but they they don't know what they're missing, and then they find out it's something, and they're like friends for life. What's when your experience with that, and what's your message to those folks? I think, you know, it may take you a while to ever feel like you want to meet other people and feel like you don't need to be isolated, um, but it may happen, and when it does, embrace it, and, you know, just, just try, just show up and, and see what happens, because for me, the experience has been absolutely incredible and life-changing. And Rachel? Yeah, I, I was incredibly nervous the first time I went, and I didn't know if I wanted to be around a bunch of other people that had cancer, but it ended up being the most comforting place ever, and I feel like I've made so many close friends that I know that I will have for life now because we've gone through this tremendous ordeal together, uh, and it's just a safe place to, you know, open up and talk about these things that nobody else can really understand unless you've been through this. So I right. think it's really important for people to just at least give it a try. So I, I just have to ask one more question, Rachel, because I'm reading this at the tail end of your bio. You play guitar, which is awesome. What is a shoegaze band? <laughs> uh, shoegaze is this movement of 
uh, British music from the sort of very late 80s, early 90s um, that was popular mostly in the UK. I mean, they, were, they had bands in the US as well, but it originated in the UK. But uh, there's a sort of, like all things that cycle around 20 years later, there's like a shoegaze revival happening. Is so. it more or less depressing than The Cure? What's that? Is it more or less depressing than The Cure? Depressing. It's more like ethereal kind of music, but with a lot of like distortion and noise. Kind of, you know, pretty but noisy. Understood. I, well, <laughs> but that's great. I had to ask. I, I, I'm a music major of a, of a bachelor's in music, and I'm, I'm a concert pianist. I've never heard that genre or that phrase before. I, so that's awesome. Really awesome. So, all right. Well, you guys are awesome. Uh, Dakota Fisher Vance, co-founder of the Young Adult Cancer Connection out of Philadelphia, um, diagnosed with familial adenom- I'm never going to get that. adenomatous polyposis in 2011. Um, and Rachel Wetzel is a member of the Young Adult Cancer Connection in Philadelphia and a six-month in remission colon cancer survivor. Ladies, thanks so much. Good luck with the conference. We're very excited. And let us know how we can help you anytime. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Good stuff. Really good stuff. I, it's amazing. They met through the regional groups. By the way, Kenny gets full credit for regionalizing our groups. <laughs> we used to have like 47 different cities, and it was oh, impossible God. to manage. And and it's like, we just, just regionalize it. So 14 groups, that's it. Boom, done. We just uh, we just had the ROI for it. Yeah, it was good. Really good stuff. Glad so they met. So this, yeah, there are like, like seven or eight, maybe even more, young adult little micro-community events happening around the country now that are... I guess like spinoffs and let them own it. It's great. And and we're really excited. Real progress. Real progress. Good luck to those guys. Do we have a website for that conference? I bet, forgot to ask them. Um, on the spot here. I furiously Google. <laughs> well, we'll put it up on our on our wall on Facebook or share it on social if we can't get it on the show tonight. Um, I am not finding anything. All right. Well, for our listeners, we'll put it up on our social media platforms and we hope to see a great turnout i want them to sell out i want them to be back to the gills they're they're doing good stuff all right well uh that's our show and now it is time for our closing sequence prepare to activate uh, i hear there's rumors on the uh internets you ever seen a grown man naked and so to all of you a fond farewell Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 341st episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Sharon Blinn. And Dakota Fisher Vance and Rachel Wetzel. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity that comprehensively addresses young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself, 
Kenny Kane, Mallory Herrera, and Sean Shapiro. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Good night, folks. Hi, everybody.